0: Father, thank you for this day and the amazing things you do. Lord, I just thank you for this precious group of people and the joy of worshiping and sharing and walking with each other through the time that you have graced us. Father, may we never, ever, ever take one another for granted, nor may we take your word and the fellowship and the communion of the saints for granted. I just praise you. Oh, we love you. And Father, I pray as we look at the conclusion of this chapter, that Father, you will give us an amazement in our hearts. Eyes to see, ears to hear, and souls that jump forth rejoicing. at The wonder of wonders, your redeemed people. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. we at verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Thanks be to God. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. for We are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma of death to death. To another, the aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We are looking at a man who had a stretch where he was disheartened. He he was discouraged. He was frustrated. He had the proverbial, let's throw your hands up and what is the point? He had been almost two years in Corinth, had been three years in Ephesus. Both of those had turned into a disaster. Uh, In Ephesus, he was run out in the midst of a riot. In Corinth, they had literally taken everything and perverted it to their own fleshly desires. It's like uh, the text where he says... Difficult times will come, men will be lovers of self. And then Charles Spurgeon speaks of that text and says, lovers of self is the sewer pipe that all of the sewage pours out. And I thought, uh, you know, that's very appropriate if you think about it. When I become a lover of self, uh, to use this text, you are an aroma I'll let you ponder that. (laughs) Um, When I look at this text, that that verse 14, I see the transition there, and it dawned on me. How do you take a man who had a door open for the gospel and didn't walk through it? And yet, if you think about the Apostle Paul, that was the only thing that kept him going in life, was doors open for the gospel. And yet in verse 14, he says, but thanks be to God. Wait a minute. Door was open for me in the gospel in Troas, but I had so much unrest in my spirit that I went on to Macedonia. I left a infant church. That's what he says. I left them. It means that they were receiving. But I went on to Macedonia. How do you transition out of that? How do you go from here God has a plan But I am so discouraged, I am so disheartened that I'll just go on to thanks be to God who leads us in always, in triumph. We've been looking at that because the Apostle Paul could draw upon what privilege he had because he was a child of God. First, verse 14, being led by a sovereign God, he said, God always leads us. God always leads us. See, there are many in this room, I believe, today who forget that it is God who leads us. Always. We get stiff-necked occasionally. As we read this morning on Israel out of chapter 10 of Romans. An obstinate people. I'm sure that no one in this room has ever been obstinate. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) But we are at times. God makes it very adequate. When I was teaching on... What true truth-saving faith? And one of the problems that you and I have here in this country is, is that when we read something, we immediately want to know why. And you know what? There's times God says, it's none of your business. And yet we will argue. And I know that nobody in this room would have ever given God counsel, tried to explain God, He doesn't understand what's going on down here. And yet... When I read this, I think, you know what? I am led by the sovereign God of existence. He knows the hairs of my head. He knows when the sparrow falls to its death. He knows the stars and has named them and He hung the earth on nothing. And your problem would be what? I only knit you in your mother's womb. When we think about the sovereign God, we like to throw the sovereign God at someone who is going through something awful. But you know that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory that comes. As long as it ain't my suffering. Because if it's my suffering, I know God doesn't understand this. But still doesn't change it. The Apostle Paul backed away from the leading of the sovereign God and says, you know what? I have privilege to be led by God who... Spoke existence into being. He only created time. That's all. Second thing the Apostle Paul understood was the promise of victory in Christ, also in verse 14 leads us in triumph in Christ. We are in Christ. We have promised victory every time in Christ. And, and there's times that you and I will get into a quote-unquote spiritual battle and we feel like we were defeated, but the truth of the matter is if you shared in the knowledge of Christ, then you were victorious. I remember one time preaching, uh, actually it was back in Matthew, and there was a couple that was um, visiting the church and um, a younger couple... And um, the whole time, they sat in the back. They are typical Baptists. got to be in the back row. And they were sitting in the back. And as I preached, you could just see this woman's face getting madder and madder and madder. And and I was almost, found myself stepping into taking joy in it. Just a little. I was like, watch this. I just... After I uh, finished preaching, I had gone to the back to greet everybody, and she came up to me, and I mean the blood vessels were sticking out, and I thought, this could explode, literally. She looked at me, and she started the finger thing. I always am impressed by that. You know, that just, Anyway on how it is that style and that mentality of the patriarchal, this and women, oppressed and... And I said, ma'am, I have been called to proclaim the Bible. I have not been called to please people. I have been called to bring forth the Word of God. Well, I'll have you know that the Bible... And I was like, well, ma'am, I would suggest that you go home and get your Bible and read it and tell me where I am wrong and then come back and we'll discuss it and I will stand before this whole congregation and tell everybody that I was wrong. I'll do that! And she stormed out. Of course, I never seen him again. But I thought, you know what? I still won. Okay? Because she understood that I'm only going to stand on the Bible. If you do not like what I say, And I've run into that a time or two. Then go to your Bible and prove it wrong, what I have said. And then we will sit down and, as Isaiah said, reason from the scriptures. And if I'm wrong, I will stand before the congregation and say, I am wrong. And I don't say that to say, you know, I've got this thing all figured out. I'm just telling you that I do put a little time into what I'm doing, and I still have victory in Christ as long as I stay to the text. Because if you look at this, he says, We are the sweet aroma of what? The knowledge of him. That is the aroma. You can use the knowledge of Christ to think of the incense burners in the parade and, and, and the crushed flower petals are nothing but a metaphor for the knowledge of Christ. Which takes me to the second one off or the third one off the promises of victory. I have the privilege of being an influence for Christ. To people. To people. It's kind of an awesome thought if you really are are honest with yourself. Each and every one of you who have knowledge of Christ are an aroma to people. Even the little cranky woman who I'm betting dollars to donuts has no knowledge of Christ. Even her... That aroma of the knowledge of Christ had an effect on her. When you think about this great parade, this great triumph that would have gone through the streets of Rome, you had a big group of the prisoners. And they would smell the incense. And they would smell the sweet fragrance of those crushed flowers. And I bet you it wasn't a real positive thing for them. But if you took the soldiers who would have been right behind them and their chariots and their infantry and all the rest of it, they would have that same smell of the incense and of the flower petals and that sweet fragrance, and it was probably yes for them. Same fragrance. Two different outcomes. One is death to the dying. You patriarchal mm, chauvinist! Yeah, it'd be me. All right. Or it's life to the living. Bring forth the word. You know, teaching um, Friday night and Saturday. You know, they were hour and a half to two hours, and I was almost three and a half hours on Friday night of just nothing but teaching, and it was life to the living, and the people wanted it. It was funny because normally if you have a a time and you're just sitting, you'll see people start doing the proverbial spiritual nod. You know know what I'm talking about? I've absorbed so much of that. Okay, I I know that none of you have ever done that. Um, It's like the joke where the guy kept sleeping in front of the pastor. And he was one of the leadership. And the pastor finally, you know, he'd start preaching. This guy just... Out he go. He'd be sound asleep. So he finally said, Hey, dude, you know, you're part of the leadership. Every time I preach, you fall asleep. He says, you know, I'm not sure of the example you're setting there. And he says, If I didn't trust you, I wouldn't sleep. <laughs> so, anyway. Not only are we have the privilege of influencing society for Christ, we have that same aroma We have the privilege of pleasing God in Christ. Pleasing God in Christ. Verses 15 and 16. And when we are expressing in our lives and in words the knowledge of Christ, that aroma, not only has an influence on our community, on our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, it also is the sweet aroma rising to God Himself. I think of it from this perspective. The voice from heaven when He came out of the water, when John the Baptist was baptizing it, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. When our lives reflect the knowledge of Christ, it is that same aroma that this is God's Son, in whom He is well pleased. It is pleasing in Christ. Which brings me to the conclusion. Begins there at the end of verse 16 and cruises out through verse 17. It is the privilege of power in Christ Jesus. Paul starts it off with this. If you are to influence your society because of the knowledge of Christ, and if you are in that same influence, going to be the aroma that rises to please God. You... In the knowledge of Christ, have the ability to be death to the dying and life to the living. His first response is, Who's adequate for this? Who's adequate? What school do you go to to pull that off? What apprenticeship program? Who is adequate? Picanos in the Greek. Who is capable? Who is competent? Who has sufficient human ability to do this? Who has what it takes to give service to the Almighty God? That's what Paul's saying to you and I. Who has what it takes to influence the world for eternity? To be triumphant. Who? Listen, if you're thinking of an answer, I can give you the answer. It's nobody. No one is competent. No one in their own strength. Absolutely no one. Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are picanas. adequate in ourselves we are not adequate Paul understood this Paul says you know what this is the craziest thing I ever heard I can't even believe I've been picked me a blasphemer a murderer who's adequate not us Paul says in chapter 15 uh, verse 10 of 1st Corinthians he makes this statement by grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove in vain By the grace of God. By the grace of God, I have this privilege. It is the grace of God with me, Paul tells us, so I preach. It is the grace of God with me, so you believe. One of my most cherished texts of all of Holy Writ comes out of Colossians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 28, we proclaim Him. Admonishing every man with and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Think about that for a second. Who is adequate to present every man complete in Christ? That's what you call job security. (laughs) Because that feat is going to be long in coming. But look at what he says here. For this purpose. What purpose is that Paul? To present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor. And the word labor there has to do with tearing a muscle. Striving. That literally means that I am working so hard that my entire body is soaked with perspiration. I am working so hard that I'm tearing muscles and my whole body is broken out, sweating. Why? Well, think about it. To present every man complete in Christ? it's going to take work. It's going to take work. But look what he says. According to His power. Why? Because Paul says, you know what? I can work to the point of absolute, utter exhaustion, but without His power, I will accomplish nothing. Paul understood that he wasn't. He says, I labor, but it is the power of God working in me. See, that goes back to that phrase. It is the knowledge of Christ that is the sweet aroma. If you do not put the effort into understanding who is Christ, the knowledge of Christ, I don't care how much effort you put into it, And yet, you will get to the point where you realize that in the knowledge of Christ, what I share will be life to the living and death to the dying. You know what that means, right? You can't lose. You can't lose. See, Paul understands he was utterly and totally dependent on the power and the enabling of grace of God. See, he knows all the power comes from God. Repeatedly, he says this over and over. I I mean, it's either directly he just states it or it's implied. I mean, you see it in Ephesians 1. You see it in Ephesians 3. You see it in Philippians 2. You see it in Galatians 2. It's over and over and over and over again. He says, you know, I got nothing here. I got nothing here. And, it, and that's the tragedy. The power, the Apostle Paul says, all belongs to God. At the Bema seat, we will look at this in uh, a few months. I think it's chapter 5. So um, It says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus says, I come quickly in my... Rewards are with me. When you receive these rewards from Christ, what do you do with them? You Give them back to Him because you understand where the power came from and just that privilege. Listen, the Apostle Paul in this text, and I want to spend a little time in this, wants to make sure, and he wants to make this divine adequacy the strong point of the thought. And that's what you see here in verse... um, 17. Okay? And, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here. We'll, we'll finish it up today. About three. But we'll finish it up. It states there in verse 17. We are not like many. Not like many. It literally in the Greek, it's not like Poi ploi. Okay, now, if you look at this letter and you think about the time that it was written, chronology, okay, 60s, not the 1960s, okay? The word poi means the majority. Think about what he just said here. The gospel is going forth throughout civilization, but the majority, the many, hmm, in the 60s? Let me ask you a question. If the majority in the 60s, the New American Standards translation says, are peddling the Word of God, In 2010, what would it look like? Oh, I believe it's gotten better, Pastor. Really? Really? If in the early seasons of the church, the Apostle Paul uses a term that says the majority are peddling the word, ask yourself, what do you suppose is happening today? The word you see there peddling the word is the uh, New American Standard Translation. Uh, it's not really a good translation. I apologize. Uh, it's kapilua. Kapilua. And it literally means to corrupt. So he's basically saying here, we are not like the majority who have corrupted the word of God. Okay. um Kapilua became a, a term that if you've ever watched late night TV, you're extraordinarily familiar with. It had to do with a a, a street vendor. We call him today a pitch man. Yeah, if, you've, if you've ever been up late and you look through the... TV channels, they're selling, gee, many crickets. You name it. And they all have, we've got a deal. You buy this and on your credit card, we'll give you twice as many. Because we can't even give these things away. No, they don't say that. Okay, but you, you think about it. And, and you, you've you seen them on, on TV. And he says, it, it became a, a street vendor, a pitch man. Um, I look at it from this perspective, a con man. A con man. Somebody selling by his ingenuity, by his cleverness, by his trickery, and even deception. All right? Now then. That's what they're doing to the word of God. The apostle Paul says that there are the majority of the majority. A cheap imitation of the real thing. A huckster. It had to do with the mindset of someone who will make a profit out of the buyer's expense. Okay? At the writing of this letter. The most common way that this was done was... uh, in wine they would water down wine and they would sell it by the weight of the bottle um, and and although in, in some cases wine was diluted because it was going to be used as a, a as like water and you would put wine in it and the alcohol content would kill bacterium I mean they didn't want not like to had water purification and stuff like that but they would use if you were going to get some water, drinking water, you would dilute it with wine to, to kill the bacteria, but there are people who would sell wine who would, would be quite watered down. Um, you see that and have heard of that in our some of our drinking establishes where they would water down their hard liquor uh, and so that I could take one bottle and get two bottles out of it. Okay, cut it by fifty percent. Um, far more people would pay higher prices or even regular price and they were actually getting less. See, it would be based on their selling cleverness. A pitch man. Let me get you to buy an inferior and in most cases I would even argue useless product. I mean, I, I look at some of the stuff that is sold on some of these TV commercial things and you, <laughs> this one thing that I watched, he had a, a big old long shaft about that long and had two blades on the end of it and you could till your dirt with it and you just stuck it in the end of a screw gun. and We've got to deal with you. We'll give you the screw gun to boot. And I looked at that thing and said, <laughs> you'd use that about 10 seconds and say, what in the world? Because I know that's going to beat the stew out of your elbows and your wrists. Can you think about it? Have you ever till dirt and you want to do it with a screw gun? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. I got one of them uh, little bitty two-cycle rototillers. Good Lord, that's like grabbing hold of a tiger by the tail. You, you're you trying to figure out who's winning here. Okay? You know, what does a good job. After you explode the dirt with dynamite. <laughs> then why do I need a screw gun rototiller? But I'll never forget that. I always look at that and I thought, are you out of your mind? Anybody buy that? And then it dawned on me, he ain't on the air unless people are buying it. What's the point here? How in the world does this connect with verse 16 and the phrase that he says, who is adequate for this? When men operate in their own adequacy, they become corruptors of the word of God. Paul says, we're not like the poi ploi. We are not like the majority. We are not coming in our own wisdom, our own philosophy, our own talents, our own cleverness. He spoke of that in depth actually back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, there is no cleverness of speech going on here. There is no human brilliance going on here. Deceptive talk, like the false, like the pitchman, like the hucksters. That's the best they can do. They just peddle the word of God. They peddle the word of God. They are people pleasers. You hear it Taught. You need to be intimate with your congregation so you know what they need to hear. Really? I know what you need to hear and I love you, you're not going to like it. But it still doesn't mean you don't need to hear it. They water it down. They degrade the word of God. It is an adulterated Product. I remember now. Listen, I this thing is very passionate to me, and here's the reason: I have experienced that in this church. What? Yeah. When I first started attending this church, back in the winter of '43, uh, I think it was the fall of '26. Anyway, um, our pastor went Genesis to Revelations in a year. I've broke you all of that. (laughs) I at one time thought about doing the whole Bible in seven years, and I realized I wasn't going to make it. Okay, and then the last book of the Bible was called White Sunday, and they took one of those straight back chairs, and they set it up by the pulpit, hung a purple robe off of it, and everybody who came to church that day was supposed to dress in white. Because we were all going to be in heaven and this is going to be the purity of what we were going to deal with. When I found out that that's what we were supposed to do, I missed church that day. And it was purely intentional because I said, I want no part of that. And then I found out that everyone who was dressed in white got to take a chance to sit in the throne, which represented the throne of Christ. And I said, I know I don't want no part of that well, but you need to understand the symbolism. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I will wait till I see him face to face and I'll go, oh, or whoa, or (coughs) whatever. I don't know what kind of noise I'm going to make, but you'll know I'm there because did you hear that noise? (laughs) Terry's here. what i will find what you find out in many kinds many cases is that there is a mixing of a little divine truth with some kind of cool tradition same church had a, a holy pig roast i'm in okay i don't remember what the spiritual connotation was but they had this big pig that they roasted and it was dynamite It becomes pragmatism. It becomes methodology. And in this context, when you see what they're doing with the Word of God, you will find out that these are dishonest men seeking personal profit. They do it for the cash. And if I can water it down to make you just happy, you give more, I get more. And we all bounce through life with goofy grins on our faces. And yet it is done at the expense of divine things and the souls of men. My thinking on this is that these men are frauds. They are adulterers of God's Word. And I believe, biblically, they are the majority. I remember going to Russia the first time and you had all of these men who wanted to know more about the Bible and they were all quote-unquote preachers. And what I was realizing was they were all extraordinarily passionate about preaching. And yet what they were saying, they were clueless. There was no study time. But they were passionate! The Greeks understood this. If you go back to ancient Greeks, even during the time of Alexander, they had a difference between rhetoric and knowledge. Rhetoric! Rhetoric! It's when the Apostle Paul showed up in Athens and they went to the, uh, to the, the meeting place of the people. They all wanted to hear something new. That's rhetoric. You know why? It is convincing. It has to be convincing. Look how passionate he is. But they understand that that was different than knowledge, because knowledge was truth. I've seen a lot of people who are passionate in their ignorance. A lot of these Russian pastors, when we first got there, were very, very passionate, but they didn't really have a lot of truth. I mean, I, I remember watching these guys and sweat pouring off of them as they're preaching and all the rest of it, and the interpreter was explaining to me what they were saying, and I thought, "You're completely wrong." But it's obvious <laughs> you're passionate about it. We still have them today, brothers and sisters, the cheap gospel. Walk and I'll say a prayer, you'll be saved. Can you give me the biblical precedence for that? Are you telling me you throw a prayer up to God, he has to save you? I don't think that's where I read it. They call everything is under grace. There's the prosperity gospel, the liberals, the legalists, the pragmatists. They are all have one thing in common. They manipulate the people, and they do it at the expense of the Word of God. Paul says, "You know what." we ain't doing that. And then he uses some interesting phrasing here. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. It's a fascinating thought. See, what happens when you operate in your own strength is that you become a people pleaser. You start using your brilliance, your methodology. You, you have a, to use a, a phrase, a scheme. If I do this and this and this, this will be their response. That is your power. That is your flesh. And he says, but we are not like the majority. We are not like the many. We come preaching the word. We are not even adequate to do that. So we come from sincerity. We, as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God, sincere. hala Halakrinea. Hala it is not human. Cleverness. Will you see this today? Brothers and sisters, you are driven by it. The man can speak boldly in public. He is a phenomenal speaker. You know what it is? It's rhetoric. I can convince you because of what I'm saying. But it isn't necessarily true. I grew up with uh, John F. Kennedy. And most of my life, I looked at John F. Kennedy as one of America's greatest presidents. Everything you ever heard was how great John F. Kennedy was. Okay? And you know what? When it comes to giving speeches, dude, sit down and hold on to your chair. Right? But if you're really honest and you look at what did he do, (laughs) there ain't anything. I mean, and I'm not saying that to be political. I'm just telling you, historically, what he do? Tell me what he did. He didn't do nothing. But he could speak. It was... Camelot right? But what was it? What happened? You had a young man and a young wife and little darling kids in the White House. We hadn't seen that since the age of television, and it was like, well, oh, cool. You know, you just sit there and you go, wait a minute, but you and I buy into it. I've heard, I've done some reading and research on a man named Adolf Hitler, and I have been told that no one, literally no one, could deliver a speech the way he did, and he broke every rule of public speaking. Every rule. You are never supposed to give more than three seconds of silence. He would give minutes Of silence. And he was a master of controlling a crowd. And you know what? He did it without special effects. I mean, he didn't have like fireworks and laser swords and things. He was a master orator. Paul says, we're not like that. We're not like that. I see it today. We chase education. We trace brilliance. And we can't even discern the deception that exists in it. I remember hearing a pastor speak at a conference one time, and he had two messages. There was a number, the big guns of pastors were all out there. For this thing, and and I mean there was, and each guy got two shots at it, and to this day, this happened in 1998. To this day, I can tell you what each man spoke on, except one, and I mean that was Adrian Rogers, Stephen Olford, Joel Stoll, John MacArthur. He, I mean it was David Jeremiah. I mean it was like well, Jude, the roof's going home. We're all out of here. But one pastor did speak. And I can't tell you anything he said except something about his wife getting into the elevator and him thanking God she had makeup on and get up you bum from Rocky. But he's a well, published pastor. Everybody knows if I mentioned his name right now, you would all know his name. And he's a phenomenal speaker. And the stories were hilarious. What I remember of, but I like it because he even sounded like that guy Burgess Meredith. Get up, get up! I just, this is cool. I just remember the movie and get up, get up! And dude, they just beat him to death. Leave him now. But anyway, <laughs> Paul uses this phrase here: sincerity. He says, "We come in the sincerity." We come real. He says, we come so real, I want you to look at it. The word in the original language means to judge it by the sun. S-U-N. It was spoken of pottery, and you would go buy a pot, and to make sure it didn't leak... You would hold it out in the sun because if it had a crack in it, the maker of the potter could take and put wax in it. It was clear and he'd put that on there and you wouldn't see the crack. But if I took it out and I held it out and in the sun, what happens to the wax? And it melts. And he's saying, hold this up to the sun and examine it. And you tell me what it says. Look at the sun. And see if there is something wrong. You'll find that we are genuine. You will find that we are real. You will find that we are only sent by God. We came from God. Who is the single source of our message. Paul understood that the privilege. Of having the power of God spoken through him. It is unmixed. It is undiluted. It is unadulterated. And he's saying, who is the single source of our power? We speak. Look where we speak. Where in Christ. In Christ, we speak in his person. We speak in his power. And we speak also knowing that we are in the sight of God. James tells us that not many of us should be teachers. How's it come, James? There's a harsher judgment. You know what that means? The sun is brighter on them. I'll melt their wax quicker. See, Paul says, you know what? We are very, very, very much aware of His all-knowing Sovereign gaze Paul is saying you you don't have to suspect me suspect them anybody can preach a watered down gospel anybody I remember teaching a kid here working with a kid here he thought he's being called to preach and he says well I started when I was 8 Hey, yeah, I'm standing on the street corner. Repent. Jesus is coming. Did did that work for you? I, I seen a guy downtown Denver on rollerblades and a tutu, a ballerina tutu. And he was preaching the gospel. And I thought Jesus would be proud of that one. But I remember going down there. I, Hank Smith used to work down there. And I, I used to go down and have, meet him for lunch and a few times and all the rest of it. Sure enough, every day at lunch. Ding, 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 ding. There you go. Uh, well, I'm a street preacher. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. And this guy wanted, says, I believe I'm called to preach. And then I started watching him and listening to him and all the rest of it. And he was just excitable. By, and, and everything. And Jesus. And I'm telling you. And whoo- but that's exactly what he said. What would you get out of that? Because there's no substance. We are the sweet aroma to influence the community in how? The knowledge of Christ. If you're just saying, well, Jesus saves. What does he save? Aluminum? Copper? I, what? That's the kind of stuff that you and I have to be careful about, because Paul's already told you that it is the majority. Sensationalism. That's what's in the pulpit. I told you that I seen a, me and Stephanie the, a couple of weeks ago saw a pastor who had this motocross guy doing jumps over him, and you just sit there and go, "Oh there you go." <laughs> I might be the pastor, but I'm riding a motorcycle. I am not standing there letting somebody jump over me. Let me be doing the jumping, and I'm thinking, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Anybody can preach a watered down gospel. Anybody can make a deal. A little this, a little that, a little truth, comedy, human wisdom. Clever of this, little view of that. Any man is adequate for that. The man who preaches an unmixed divine truth, pure, clean, can only do that in the power that is given to him from on high. Paul found his way out of disheartenment, out of a broken heart, back to thanksgiving because he began to focus on God and and on the privileges that had been given him by God. See, you and I need to walk away from this text saying, you know what, I need to focus on the privileges, not the problems. It's sort of like the accident on the highway. Why does everybody slow down? Are you involved? No, I'm just looking a problem. Do you realize that you are associated with the King of Kings? Do you realize that you have promised victory in Christ Jesus? Do you realize that you have the influence on men and women only for eternity? Do you realize that in that influence you are pleasing to God? And do you realize that you have the power to proclaim unadulterated truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Never, never, ever, never, ever measure your ministry by earthly measurements. Alexander in Zemimfka, five years, every day he stopped and prayed for the redemption of souls in Zeminfka. 3,500 people live in this town. They have nothing. They were only running in the high 90% of unemployment. Five years. Day in and day out sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people and after five years, one soul. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Isaiah. Look at Ezekiel. Look at Daniel. They never compromised on the word of God and yet if you measure it by man's standard, they're failures. William Carey Shared the gospel, gave up everything, moved to India to share the gospel, and he sweat and labored for 35 years before he saw the first salvation. Would you or anybody question their lives? Do me a favor. Let God judge your ministries. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul, even though in his discouragement, uh, you even this day bless us by it. Help us, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to not be discouraged, to, to not be disheartened. And yet, Lord, we know it's coming. And when it does, Lord, let us with humility bow before you and say thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Thank you, Father, for what this text has done for me. And Father, may the hearers of this text be encouraged with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. In Christ's name, amen.